Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's stand together and uh, go to the Lord in prayer and thank Him, first of all, for a beautiful day. A little nippy outside, but I'll take that over 10 inches of snow any time. Spring is uh, here. Start to say it's just around the corner, but the Lord uh, said when Noah came off the ark, he said, uh, the sun will keep shining. I'm paraphrasing using my words, Brother uh, Brad. The moon will continue to be there, and as long as the earth stands, there will be winter and summer and spring and fall. So we thank the Lord that he always keeps his word. We're going to go into the word of the Lord, but let's pray and ask him to help us to understand uh, what he wants us to and to receive what he wants to give us today, and let's pray and ask God to help us give him what we ought to give him today, which is our praise and our worship. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. Thank you so much for the wonderful, bountiful array of blessings that you give your people. God, every day, your tender, loving kindnesses, your mercies are new every morning. The goodness of God God pours into our lives from your hand every single day. We thank you for that. Thank you for this day, this day that has been uh, acknowledged, set aside as the one day each week that we come to a place. It's been designated as a worship center, a place to learn of you, to enter into your presence with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Help us to do that today, to be thankful unto you as the word of God admonishes and bless your holy name. We praise you today for all that you're going to do. Help us, God, to praise you and worship you as we ought. For your word says to give glory where honor is due. And certainly you are due all the honor, all the praise, all the goodness. Bless the word today. Help God me to present it as you would have me to. And let your will be done in everything that happens in this house this afternoon. We ask it all and thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise before you're seated? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You may be seated. And uh, I am excited about another Lord's Day, another opportunity to feel the Lord's presence and to learn of him via his word. I love the word of God. I'll, I'll give you, uh, clue you in on a little secret. I like to teach it. Anybody know that? I like to teach the Word of God. Amen. I, I like to teach it a whole lot more than I like to preach it. Um, there are several reasons for that. And uh, I've sat and thought about this. I don't know if you have or not. Of course, being a preacher, naturally, I would think about things like this. And what I'm referring to is I wonder how they did it in Bible days. I wonder how the apostles preached what was their style of presenting the Word of God. Um, how did Jesus do it? I don't know. Maybe you've never thought about such things, but I have. Uh, do you think Jesus 
stood uh, behind a pulpit or wherever his body was positioned when he would preach. The Bible uses the word preach when it says he preached. The disciples wrote about that. Do you think Jesus lifted his voice up and hollered from the top of his lungs when he preached? Uh, yeah, he did. But in the natural, just from using your, your own voice, uh, if, if you or me or anybody screamed at the top of their lungs, I don't believe that in the natural, naturally speaking, they could still speak loud enough for 5,000 people to hear. I think it had to be a supernatural miracle that enabled those people that day when he fed the 5,000 plus wives and children for them to be able to hear him. So um, what about in the synagogue? You know, that was the Jews' church house. They would go to the synagogue to uh, teach and listen to teachers teach the word of God. I don't know if they yelled or not. Uh, my vote is they probably didn't. Jesus probably didn't yell. I think that's a cultural um, thing that's attached to our society today. Uh, I know that <clears throat> they have uh, written, there's record in history books all the way back to the 1800s, uh, famous preachers of the Word of God. They lifted their voice and they uh, preached in a loud tone. Some of them did. So uh, it's been around a while. Whatever, I pray for the Lord to help me do it the way he wants me to do it, and then I just leave it at that. So you help pray for the pastor, too, that I'll do it the way he wants me to every time. You can remain seated, but I'm going to read a verse that's very familiar to everyone here today. Uh, it could be classified as... Um, not just one of the most familiar, well-known verses to people on earth, including non-Christians, uh, it would certainly, in my book, my opinion is, it would compete for perhaps being the most well-known. Um, some people think Psalm 23 may be the most familiar, you know, known to the most people, the highest number of people, but I think this one certainly competes for that spot of being the most familiar, most quoted, most read, most well-known by people, even non-Christians, and I'm talking about John 3, 16. Most of you could quote it. Let's uh, quote it, read it together as Brother Terry puts it up on the screen, or excuse me, Brother Augusto, Brother Terry's got some help back there today. John 3, 16 says, for God. Uh, read it out loud with me. Let's just read it. Read it out loud, loud as you can. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, Brother Wayne. Um, everlasting life, the love of God. You know, uh, most people... Today, if you were to ask them, probably, I think the majority would say, uh, if you ask them, do you or do you not like this, most of them would say no. If you ask them, do you like taking tests? 
Some people do. I never did. I never did like uh, taking tests. Now, when I was in school, if the teacher, there was one scenario where uh, I said, okay, I can handle this. That was an open book test. Sister Cleta, when you taught high school, did you ever give an open book test? Okay. Uh, as a teacher, I can probably guess why you don't like it. We'll, we'll talk about that after church. But uh, an open book test is where you have the book so you can look up whatever information you want to in the book. I, I, I did well in school, but I still didn't like tests. And uh, I, I'm sure there are a few, perhaps just a handful, but a few people who like taking tests uh, but they're a huge source of stress to most people. Uh, I wish that I could say, moving from test in school to life, I wish I could say that our lives uh, are free from test. But you know I can't say that, don't you? We all go through things that uh, usually are negative, usually circumstances that we if we had our choice, would choose not to go through that in essence are God allowing us to go through those circumstances to test us, to be tested. And uh, I'm going to talk about that today. Uh, I went through my own test just uh, this past week with uh, some problems with my mother and she's 91 going on 92, and as I tell her, and we laugh when we say this to each other, we're no spring chicken anymore, neither one of us. But uh, she's having some problems that come with age, so I'd appreciate your prayers on that. But uh, I want to talk to you today about this subject of testing, and I'm going to entitle my remarks, This is a Test. Sister Sherry, I finally got the Lord's permission to do this lesson. Sister Sherry is so good about reminding us, and I've heard her say it many times when we <clears throat> would talk about a particular set of circumstances, something happened to somebody in the church, and uh, in her life, in my life, people we know, she would say, Brother Edwards, this is a test. So we're going to talk about tests today, the tests that God gives us and why and and what to do about them. I want to read a, a fascinating story. This is by a gentleman. Some of you may have read his books by the name of Max Lucado. Uh, he titled it, The People with the Roses. But I'm going to subtitle his little story, It's a Test. Mr. John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightened his army uniform, and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. Somebody tell me what city Grand Central Station is in. It's New York City. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he didn't, the girl with the rose. His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued, not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. 
The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and an insightful mind. In the front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Hollis Maynell. And with time and effort, he somehow located her address. She lived in New York City. He wrote her a letter introducing himself, inviting her to correspond with him. The next day, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart. A romance was budding. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting. It would be 7 p.m. at night at the Grand Central Station in New York. You'll recognize me, he wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock, he was there in the station looking for a girl whose heart he had already grown to love, but whose face he had never seen. I'll let Mr. Blanchard tell you what happened. A young woman was coming towards me, her figure, figure long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small provocative smile turned her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her, and then I saw Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl, a woman well past 40. She had graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, her thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was quickly walking away. I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned and upheld mine. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I did not hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious something perhaps even better than love, a friendship for which I had been and must ever be grateful. I squared my shoulders, saluted, held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke I felt choked by a bit of bitterness and my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I'm so glad... Uh, you could meet me. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a wry, tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, son, 
she answered. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my coat. And she said, if you were to ask me out to dinner, I should go and tell you that she is waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. It's not difficult to understand and admire Miss Maynell's wisdom. As Sister Sherry says from time to time, this was a test. True story. Uh, let me ask you a very important question as we get serious here. Do you think that any of us should be so presumptuous or assuming as to believe that our love for God, uh, or for that matter, our love for anyone, but especially our love for God, should go a whole lifetime without ever being tested? Uh, I, I think not. In fact, I want to submit to you today, ladies and gentlemen, that love untested is really, really not love at all. We can dream about it being love. We can think uh, it's real love. We can hope it's love. We can try to convince ourselves that it is really love. But without the test, we can never really be sure true love requires a test. Uh, the, the best example that I can think of is marriage, relationship between a man and woman, husband and wife. Did you know, I'm sure you do a great number of marriages, don't survive. The divorce rate is over 50% and has been for decades in this country. And a lot of those marriages did not survive because they didn't pass the test of true love. Uh, I, I think it would help if at this point we talked about the definition of love. And when I say the definition of love, I'm talking about the Bible's meaning for love, what God says love really is. I go back to John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave the most precious thing that he could give himself. And he gave it in the most obvious way uh, that he could in portraying and proving his great love for us. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. Love equals giving. Love is several more things, but one thing that it absolutely is, is giving. Uh, I'll say it again. True love requires a test. And, and maybe that's why God, had to come down to this earth because his love for us was tested. It was tested in a lot of ways down through history. Make no mistake about it. God's love for the human race that he created to love, to give his love to, his love for mankind has always been put to the test by our selfishness, by our complacency, by our self-centeredness. And I'm not talking about you and me as individuals. I'm talking about mankind in general. Our seeming lack of ability 
uh, as a human race to be faithful, lack of ability to be loyal, to be loving, uh, to a loving and loyal and caring God. Let me tell you something. God's love for us, hear me right now, God's love for you, specifically, my friend, has passed the ultimate test. It was the test to end all tests, and it took place at a small hill called Calvary right outside the city of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. It was there at Calvary that God proved his ultimate love, and he proved it ultimately. It was there that he gave his life as a ransom for you and I. I looked up the word ransom. What does that word mean? It means payment demanded for the release of a prisoner. You and I were prisoners when we were born, prisoners to sin and this world, to the consequences of sin. And Jesus died to pay the price so that you and I could be set free from our sin. He did it because he loved us. Brother, please put up. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Brother Terry a while ago. Brother Augusto, uh, forgive me for... <clears throat> not saying your name correctly. Romans 5, verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Who's that? That's you and me. The next verse, verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Verse 8, But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still a sinner, Christ died for us. Now, you have three levels of people here that uh, somebody needs to die for. Number one, it says, uh, put up verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Paul here is saying sometimes, it's rare, but sometimes, a person will die for a righteous or a good man. And then he says, uh, well, he says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. More people are going to die, be willing to give their life for a good man than they will for someone who serves God, who's a righteous person. Go figure. But then he says, Verse 8, God commended or showed his love to us when we were sinners. Jesus, God, was willing to die for sinners. God loves you, my friend. I want you to know that today. If you don't take anything else home with you from this little Bible study, take this. God loves you. God loves you beyond your comprehension and ability to understand or measure, or know that love completely. Just because you go through stuff doesn't mean God doesn't love you. In fact, just the opposite is true. God allows you to go through stuff, the Bible says, because he does love you. Put up Ephesians 2 and 4, please. But God, who is rich in mercy for or because of his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, 
and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God loves you. He loves you beyond words. He loves you beyond thoughts. He loves you beyond any proof that we could dream up, no matter how creative we may be. God loves you so much that he died for you. How many are thankful for that today? 1 John 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested or shown the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us first. How many know that today? And sent his son to be the propitiation or the substitute for our sins. This is love, the Bible says. In fact, we only love God because he loved us first. If he hadn't loved us first, number one, we wouldn't even know what love is. Secondly, we would not have the capacity to love. Thirdly, we wouldn't have the desire to love him. It all happened because he loved us first. I just, within the last year, came into thinking about that concept like this. It's not necessarily a new revelation that God gave me, but just a different way of wording it. God loved us first. He loved us before he even created us. And he loved us, created us, loved us before he made us, loved us after he made us because he wanted us and wants us to love him back. It's that simple. It's that clear. It's why you were created. It's why you're alive. It's why every single human being was ever born to find out that God loves us and that he loved us so much he loves us so much he died for us so that we could be with him forever in a one-on-one love relationship and he wants us to do this the very best thing we can do the very best choice decision we'll ever make is to take advantage of his love for us and love him back praise God Say, Brother Edwards, that's so simple. Yeah, it's simple, but it's so profound, so absolutely mind-boggling. When I think about that, God loved me, he created me, and wants me to love him back. And there's this whole vast array of good things that will happen to me and that I can have for this life and all of eternity forever and ever if I'll just love him back. Praise God. Uh, But for us to love him back, that love has to be tested. What good is our love for God if it's never put to the test? 1 John 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 
That's how God knows that we love him when we obey him. Jesus said that himself. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, by the way, are not grievous. They're not burdensome. So it comes to the question, the test, will we love God the way he wants us to love him, which is also the way we ought to love him, which is also the way that we receive all the things he wants to give us because of his love for us. If we love God the right way, the right way, and that, and you may argue, some people may argue, nobody here probably would argue with me, but loving God the right way, the way he wants us to, simply means loving God the same way he loves us. And before I discuss what that is, someone might immediately object, oh, pastor, he's God. How can he or you or anybody expect me to love him the way he loves me? He's God, and he can do anything. I'm just a little old, little bitty human being, and he's great, big, beyond my our imagination to comprehend, and, and so is his love. You just said a while ago, his love is beyond our ability to fully and completely comprehend it. So how can he or anybody expect me to love him back the way he loves me? Well, I should have uh, predicated that statement by saying he wants us and expects us, and we ought to love him back the way he loves us in one respect. Not in every way that he loves us, but there's just one situation or one condition that we ought to love him back the way he loves us. And that condition is unconditionally. Think about it. God loves us without conditions. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter what we think, no matter what choice and decisions we may make for all of eternity, God will never stop loving you. Never. You can stop loving him, but he'll never stop loving you. No matter what you do, you may say, but, but bro, Brother Edwards, I've done, oh, no, 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 doesn't matter what you've done. I don't even need to hear it. God will love you for eternity. Think about it. Would you ever stop loving your own child? No matter what they did? Not if you truly love them. Never. God loves us unconditionally. That means he puts no conditions on, our or on his love for us. He'll love us no matter what. Now, once you are born again, born into the family of God, you become a child of God by adoption and by birth. We are adopted into his family, and uh, that's neat. We're the only people, uh, children of God are the only children 
that get to be a part of his family in both ways, both adoption and by birth. We become a part of the family of God when we are born again of the water and of the Spirit. Let's go over it real quick. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of your sins. That's the water birth uh, part of the new birth that Jesus told Nicodemus about. He said, to enter the kingdom of heaven, in other words, to be saved, you've got to be born of the water. That's water baptism in Jesus' name, and you've got to be born of the Spirit. That's receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And when you obey those two steps along with repentance, you are born again. You are born into the family of God. Once you are in the family of God, once you are a child of God, you can never, ever not be a child of God for the rest of eternity. If you have been born again of the water and of the Spirit and into the family of God, you will always and forevermore throughout all of eternity, never ending, be a child of God. Now, Let's, let's go with the disclaimer. Let's talk about that. Can a child of God or can a child in the natural uh, ever rebel against their parents and leave home? Never speak to them again? Totally break up the relationship with their parents? Sure they can. That happens in the natural. And did you know people can do that? We can do that in the spiritual with our God, our Heavenly Father. But if a child leaves home and rebels, becomes a prodigal son or daughter, never speaks to their parent again, are they still a child of that parent? Sure they are. There is no way. Now, a parent may say, oh, I disown my child, and a child may say, I disown my parent. That's just words. Doesn't matter what the words are. It's just the way God set it up. That child will always be the parent's son or daughter. Can't change that, even if you don't take advantage of that parent-child relationship. The same is true with God. You can be as rebellious as the devil. Well, maybe not that rebellious, but you can turn your back on God, walk away from him, never talk to him again never participate in a relationship with your heavenly father ever again, wind up being lost and go to hell and spend eternity in hell, but you'll still be his child. Okay? Don't let anyone ever tell you that the doctrine of unconditional eternal security as far as salvation is in the Bible. That is a doctrine that came from the pit of hell. Not one single amen. Am I getting too deep? The doctrine of unconditional eternal security is a doctrine that some Christians adhere to. It simply says that once you're saved, you're always saved. Anybody ever heard that phrase, once saved, always saved? I could name you denominations that teach and believe that, but I won't do that. That's not the point. But people who believe that believe that once you're saved, 
By the way, many of those folks who believe that doctrine don't believe in the doctrine of the new birth, of being born again of the water and of the spirit. Once uh, they, they believe that once you're saved, you can never be unsaved. They've got it confused with what I just spent five minutes explaining about how you can never stop being a child of God. But you can be a rebellious child. You can lose your salvation. The New Testament especially is filled with scriptures that prove that, that teach that. And so uh, you will forever be a child of God once you are born into his family and you obey the gospel. You obey Acts 2.38. You can quit loving God, but, uh, but you'll never stop being his. And what that means is, I've come full circle back to the beginning of this point, God will never stop loving you, no matter what you do or don't do, no matter how rebellious you may be, and though you may spend eternity in hell, separated forever from him, you will never stop being loved by God. Will his heart be broken? If that happens, sure it will. So God's love is unconditional. God loves us no matter what. I love that phrase. I'm learning more and more the preciousness and the richness of its meaning. No matter what. It's the way God loves you, and it's the way you and I ought to love God. No matter what. Uh. Let's talk about that for just a minute. His love for you is not based on your actions or your words or anything you do on any other condition except for one, and that is who he is. God's love for you is forever and unconditional because of the way God is made up, because of who God is and what he is. How many know that God loves you in spite of yourself? He loves you, period. Case dismissed. End of story. No further discussion needed. You say, but pastor, I, I did this or I did that. Doesn't matter. He still loves you. Oh, it matters in the long run. We can certainly displease him. We can make him sad. We can disobey him. And that's not good, is it? But he will still continue to love us forever. His love for you is not based upon your actions, anything you do or say or think. You could walk out of this church building today, never look back, never darken the door of a church again, never talk to love again, to God again, and he will continue to love you for the rest of eternity because that's the way God loves and you know what the Bible says about that? It defines God as being love. It says simply, uh, God is love. That's how God defines love. And our love for him should be the same way. Unconditional. I love God, period. Case closed. Case dismissed. And if you don't love God that way with a no matter what, 
mentality. No matter what happens, no matter what doesn't happen, no matter what comes my way, if my friends don't love God, if my family doesn't love God, if I'm the only one that comes to church and serves God, if my spouse doesn't love God, if my children don't love God, no matter what you allow to happen to me, God, and nothing happens to me but what it goes by you first, God. If you don't love God that way, then you haven't really fallen in love with him yet. Praise God. And when the storms of life begin to blow, your love is going to be tested. But once you get there, once you get to the place where you can pass the test, no matter what the circumstances may be, once you get to the place where you can truthfully say and live like this, God, you can do anything to me that you want. You can let happen to me anything you want to let happen. Once you have arrived at that point, ladies and gentlemen, then you really love him. Praise God. I want to love God that way. I said, I want to love God that way. Did we read 1 John 5 and 2? Let's, let's read it again, even if we did. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. We did read this, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. I want to ask you this question in closing today. Will you love God that way? Will you, will you do that no matter what? Let me close by reading a poem by Sister Beverly Oak. Some of you ladies may have read her books. It's entitled, And God Said No. Boy, I don't like to hear the word no, do you? But we have to deal with it at times. I asked God to take away my pride, and God said no. God said it was not for him to take away, but for me to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said no. God said her spirit is whole. Her body is temporary. I asked God to give me patience, and God said no. God said patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It's not granted, it's earned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said no. God said he gives blessings. The happiness part is up to me. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said no. God said suffering draws me apart from worldly cares and brings me closer to him. I asked God to make my spirit grow, and God said no. He said, I must grow on my own, but he'll help me along. He will prune me and make me fruitful. I asked God if he loved me, and God said yes. God said he gave his only son to die for me, and I will be in heaven someday if on him I believe. So finally, I asked God to help me love others 
as much as he loves me. And God said, oh, finally, you've got the idea. Let's stand together. I want to ask you again. I'm not sure what the test is for you, what the test may be that you're experiencing today in your life. But I know this. God said through the Apostle Paul, he said he would not put on us more than we can bear, but will with every temptation, every test, he'll make a way to escape it and get complete victory over it. Isn't that great to know? This is a test. One more scripture, Brother Augusto, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Put up the next verse, please. If one died for all, then we're all dead. But this is the love of God, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto or for themselves, but live for him who died for them and rose again. That's it right there. That's the key. That's the test. The test is this. Do we really love God? The test for that question is, and for that, that whole issue is this. If we really do love God, then we will live our lives for Him not for us. Simple, isn't it? And every day that gets tested. Praise God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I asked you again, will you love God no matter what? <clears throat> you know what? What you're going through right now, it's a test. It's a test. This whole life is a test. That's, that's what life here on earth is is for. That's what it's all about. To test our love for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to love him the way he wants me to. I want to love God the way he loved me. He, he, he doesn't ask me to go die on a cross physically for him, but he does ask me if I love him to pass this test whether or not I will take up my cross and follow him. I won't have to physically die on that cross, but I will have to live my life the way he wants me to live it, not the way I want to live it. And when those two things are different, I'll choose to do it his way instead of mine. And if I'll do that, then I'll pass the test. I, I think I know about you. I think you feel the same way I do, that, that you want to love God the right way, His way. You want to pass the test. Would you, we can just stay in our seat, but would you just have a conversation with Jesus right now and let Him know that? And if you're like me, perhaps 
You need to ask God for his help, for his strength, for him to show you how to do it, for him to help you do it. I, I know I can't do it on my own. I can't live the life I need to live on my own. I've got to have God's strength. I've got to have God's help. i got to have him putting in me the desire and the power to do his will. Pray that prayer with me right now, would you? God, I need you. I need you so desperately. Every day of my life, I need you. I need you to help me do the most important thing I've got to do in however long you give me on planet Earth. I've got to love you. I've got to fall in love with you, stay in love with you, and grow deeper and deeper in love with you every day as every day goes by. Somehow to love you more than I did the day before. God, I can't do it without your help. But you said in your word, you would give us all things pertaining unto life and godliness. Whatever it takes for me to pass the test and love you the way I'm supposed to love you, you're going to give it to me, God. You're going to help me pass the test if I really want to. I thank you for that promise. Help us to do it, Lord, to be the shining light. Lord, to be the vessel, the conduit through which you flow, your love so that we can be, God, that testimony and that witness to as many as you'll send us to who can look at our lives and say, wow. They'll look at our relationship with you, and they'll see how much you love us and how much we love you, and they'll say, wow, I want that in my life. I want the love of God in my life. Help us to do it your way and be pleasing unto you in all of our ways. Thank you for helping us to pass the test every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody said amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street, Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.